Raise your hand if you remember the Thai Beanie Babies. Anybody remember Thai Beanie Babies? Okay, just a second. Just keep your hands up for a second. Um, keep your hand raised if you had a Thai Beanie Baby. Anybody? Okay, yeah, so a few of you. Um, keep your hand raised if you collected Thai Beanie Babies expecting them to make you rich someday. <laughs> okay, last one. Keep your hand raised if you still have them but have realized they are worth less now than when you bought them in the 90s. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> uh, due, due to some really smart marketing and selective production, many people, lots and lots of people, millions, billions of people maybe, purchased Beanie Babies in the 1990s with the express purpose, the only reason they got them, is because they believed that they could resell them later and make thousands of, of dollars off them. The problem was that by the end of the 90s, the fad of Beanie Babies had pretty well faded. Um, and today, supposedly valuable toys are, are fairly worthless. Now, I did look this up. There are some Beanie Babies that are worth some money, um, because there are just very, very few of them out there. But the vast majority of, of Beanie, 99.75% of the Beanie Babies that were produced are not worth anything. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> if, if you are now crushed today because you thought your retirement was taken care of. Uh, it is not. Um, just you better come up with a different plan. Um, the, the, the Beanie Babies and the expectation that they would, you know, pay for themselves many times over um, is, is really a picture of what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6. It's the famous um, treasure passage, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we um, store up material possessions, hey, Tammy, will you go back one? <clears throat> By, by the way, it is, I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but it got cold um, this last week, last couple of weeks. And, and so uh, when it gets cold and we're used to warm, people get sick. So we have quite a few people who are sick. So thank you, Tammy, for um, filling in today. Before I came up on stage, she, she said, I'm sure you're going to talk to me during the service. So this is me talking to you, um, Tammy, during the service. Uh, Matthew 6, uh, you find the famous um, treasure passage. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we store up material possessions on earth, we're storing up, from what the Bible says, really kind of meaningless junk. When you're talking about eternity, that here, those things are important, right? They, they help us, they provide for us, it allows our family to, to live and to have n nice things. But when we talk in terms of eternity, so much of the stuff that we spend our time trying to get and keep and so that we have a nice life here, it's, it's meaningless for our eternal existence. We always think things will provide for us in the future but they will um, not support or give us the life that we, that we really want. And, and we see this all the time because we look at people who have all the things, all the trappings, they say, of, the, of this life, earl, earthly life. They, they have wealth, they have fame, they have stuff. 
Um, they have nice things. They drive nice cars. And, and yet what we see often is those people who we think have it all really have little. And, and so the rate of, of people in every aspect of, of life who are taking their own lives and dealing with depression and struggling in relationships, it's the same for those who have all the stuff that we sometimes wish that we had. That there is nothing wrong with having stuff. And all of us have stuff to varying degrees, even in this room. Some of us have a lot of stuff. Some of us has, have a, a little bit of stuff. The problem comes when our pleasure or what we, what we find pleasure in or what we get pleasure from is tied to the earthly treasures that we have. So when our pleasure in life comes from the things that we have, then that becomes a problem. Um, and, and when that happens, it affects every aspect of our lives. It makes us think that we're in the light because we have stuff when we really might be in the dark. It fools us into thinking that, that we can have the cake, but not the calories. And, and so we can have the great life and all the things that life provides without any of the negative parts of that. When our pleasure is found in earthly treasure, we soon discover we have no treasure at all. And so we're going to jump in today into Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at what Jesus says about treasure as we come to part three of the Money Monster series. So let's go here. Uh, Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Here's Jesus talking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now before you get to thinking that Jesus is saying that no one should have anything to treasure on earth, that is not what he's saying. Jesus is not against us having 401ks, having savings accounts, um, having nice things, nice cars, nice homes. He's not against that. Jesus doesn't expect his followers to be penniless or perpetually broke. He's simply saying that if you find your pleasure in life by amassing for yourself more than you need, whether that provides you with a sense of security or personal comfort or maybe social status, reasons that we might try to get more, we have to beware of those things because the things that you treasure in this life, they're not guaranteed. Jesus says the things that we treasure in this life, there's all kinds of stuff that can happen to them. Um, anybody jump on the Bitcoin uh, train? You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know if you've paid attention to that. I, I have not gotten into that um, at, at all. I, sometimes I think, oh, it'd be kind of fun. I am not smart enough to do that, I think. You, you, you must just have to be way smarter than me in order to do that, because I can't figure, I don't even know what it is. It's a, it's a, a coin, and it's a bit of a coin. It's not a full coin, it's a bit. And, and then there's all different kinds of these weird fake coins that don't really exist anywhere except on your phone. And I don't understand that. Uh, but if you're into that stuff, what you have realized is that it was really going up for a while. Like uh, I had all these friends on social media going, oh, I'm making so much money, it's incredible. Uh, they have all been silent 
for a month now. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay, great. Uh, I'll wait until um, Bitcoins are uh, full coins and real. Then I'll maybe think about that. Uh, think about though, like the things that we treasure in, in life, because we read this passage and we go, um, the treasures that I have, uh, well, moth, I don't really have to, to worry about that. And I drive a Ford, so I don't worry about rust. Uh, and, um, and, and I, and I have, um, I, since we started doing Trent's business and we get packages and stuff all the time, I have a, a ring, um, door, door camera and I have a camera on the driveway. So, you know, I've got some things to, to protect me. Um, but think about life 2000 years ago when, when Jesus is talking to his followers and, and he's making this statement for the, for the first time. And, and he's like, Hey, don't store up for yourself treasures on this earth where moth and, and rust and thieves can break in and steal because those were real things to the people back there. The, the things that people 2000 years ago treasured were really in two categories, uh, precious metal and cloth which seems odd to us, but it's a big deal. In fact, in the New Testament, um, there's a woman named Lydia who is a dealer in purple cloth, and she was one of Paul's biggest financial supporters because purple cloth was worth a lot of money. The process that they had to go through to dye it and to do all these things was a big deal, and so it was very expensive. And so as a dealer of purple cloth, she was a very wealthy woman. Um, and, and so cloth was a big deal back then. And, and they didn't have all the different kind of, they didn't have rayon and spandex. They didn't know what leggings were, uh, all that kind of stuff. They, they had uh, cotton and, and more cotton. That was about all they had. And so moths were a big deal for them. And the precious metals that they had couldn't be refined the way they can today. And so in the hot uh, humid desert climate of Palestine, moths and rust were a big deal. And because they didn't have ring cameras on their doors and their, they didn't even have, like a lot of them didn't have doors. Uh, if they did have a door on their house, it didn't lock. Um, and, and so anybody could, could come in. And so if people knew that you had this stuff, you had cloth or you had precious metal, um, they, they could just come into your house and steal your stuff. And so when Jesus makes a statement, every one of these people knew exactly what he was talking about. Yes, all of these earthly treasures that I think um, provide for me and give me stability and financial um, security, they can be taken from me very quickly. I can go to my closet and open the door and all my clothing could be ruined because of moths and, and rust happens no matter where I go. The thieves are always there. And, and, and so... Um, financial security, the treasure that Jesus is talking about, uh, it just didn't last. And there were lots of ways that you could lose that treasure. Um, so your treasure could uh, rot, it could be eaten, uh, moths, that's what that's about, uh, or it could get stolen. These are all real threats. And so you could be left, you could have something, and then you could be left with nothing, even though you worked really hard to get your something. 
And we experience that today. How many people lost entire fortunes and um, retirement and all these kind of things from the likes of Enron and Bernie Madoff and all those people who thought, man, I'm set for life. I've got it made. I have all of this money. I have all of these things stored up. And in a moment, that's gone. And there's nothing they can do about it. It's just gone. And and this really is the whole point of the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 2. We're going to jump to Luke chapter 2. He talks about a farmer who had uh, one year had a bumper crop. Like God just blessed him and and he had more uh, wheat, grain, and things than he knew what to do with. And so he thinks to himself, "Uh, I know what I'll do. Um, I have all of this surplus, so I'll tear down the barns that I have that are full, and I'll build bigger barns and bigger silos in which to store all my grain so I can be just kind of fat and happy the rest of my life, and I don't have to worry about anything. I'll be taken care of forever because this year's crop was so great. And and Jesus says um, that very night he died. And all that he had amassed, all that he had gained, that he thought would provide for him for the rest of his life, went to people who had not worked for it. How quickly the things that we seek and that we find pleasure from and that we chase after in our lives, how quickly those things can just be gone. Having treasure on earth is is not evil, but seeking treasure for yourself while neglecting the needs of others, that, that is. That is something Jesus says, ah, I think you're borderline here, right? I mean, you've got plenty and there's other people in need. St. Augustine said this, where your pleasure is, there is your treasure. Where your treasure, there your heart. Where your heart, there your happiness. And so we do often feel like happiness comes from the things that we have. The problem is that at some point you get dissatisfied with the things you have and we have to have more in order to feel happy again. I've got to change it. I've got to do something different. I've got to get a bigger whatever. Then I'll be happy. And so when our happiness is based in our stuff, it just doesn't last. It's fleeting, and we have to get more stuff in order to be or feel happy again. And so Jesus' solution is to find your greatest pleasure in storing up treasure that will last beyond this life. Storing up treasure in things that aren't just about what we have, what are going to exist here in the physical realm, but storing up treasure for things that are going to last into eternity. And so what kind of treasure lasts beyond this life that we can find pleasure in. Well, the prophet Micah, the Old Testament, last book of the Old Testament, he summed it up like this. He said, God told you what is good, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. If if you can do those things, if you can find pleasure in, in those things, then you'll have happiness, and you won't be running after things. You won't be trying to amass all this stuff for yourself. So if your pleasure is tied to earthly treasure, both become temporary. Both your pleasure and your treasure become temporary. So your pleasure can be temporary because you'll have to find new things to chase. 
And no matter how much you have, you'll never really be satisfied. That's the thing with greed. It's like a fire, and it always just consumes. We have to have more and more and more. Your treasure will also be temporary, because either you will outlast it or it will outlast you. One of those two things is going to happen. What's the old saying? You can't take it with you. Now, my father-in-law, bless his heart, he keeps saying that um, when, when he passes, he's going to be buried with his Harley. I just tell him, thank you for keeping such good care of my Harley. <laughs> because uh, the hole will not be that big. So something else is going to have to, uh, to happen. Um, the treasures that we have on earth, we're either going to outlast them because some Bertie Madoff guy comes and they go away, or they're going to outlast us and somebody else is going to get the things that we work so hard to attain. Pleasure from earthly treasure is temporary. But if your pleasure comes from treasure stored up with God, then both your pleasure and your treasure become Eternal. Your pleasure becomes eternal because the things you treasure, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those things are eternal. They never go out of style. They're going to go with you from here to eternity. They can't rot. They can't be consumed. They can't be stolen. The more that you have, the more you can give, the more you get, it just perpetuates it. Your treasure will also be eternal because when you find pleasure in the, the treasures that God treasures, um, then that's gonna go, go with you. God wants the same things that you want. Your heart is after his. And so pleasure from eternal treasure uh, or, or from heavenly treasure is, is eternal. Those, both of those things last. So let me say this a little um, differently and, and see if it sticks. The things that bring you the most pleasure are the things that you most treasure. Think about that for a minute. The things in your life that you treasure the most, are they the things that you find the most pleasure in? I think typically that's the case. Um, so what are they? Do you find pleasure in your spouse or your children, being with them, um, hanging, hanging out, doing things with them? Um, is your treasure or is your pleasure found in um, video games or another, like video games are just a hobby, so maybe it's not. You're like, ah, it's young kids, there's millennials playing video games all the time. Um, but you go out and work on your hot rod or you go out and work on whatever, some other hobby or you play golf all the time or your Harley or whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is, it's a hobby. We might find pleasure in those things we treasure. Maybe your greatest pleasure is found in a vice. Um, not a vice, like in a workshop, but smoking, drinking, maybe porn, or an affair even. Maybe that's where pleasure comes, or you find pleasure in those things. Maybe you know you shouldn't, but you do, and you keep doing it. And so it's those things that you really treasure. Did, did you find pleasure in things that God would treasure, or do you find pleasure in things that the world treasures? That's really the, the question. 
What if someone else were to look at your life from the outside, not interviewing you, not sitting down and asking you questions about where do you find the greatest pleasure in your life, what things do you treasure, but just somebody who like followed you around for a week and watched the places you went, the things you looked at, the things you did, said, uh, what you spent your time on for a whole week. Where would that person say your treasure or your pleasure was found most often. But where you find pleasure, others will find your treasure. The things that you find pleasure in, other people looking at that will go, that's something that they treasure. Um, This is why I think many kids grow up believing that their parent or their parents treasured other things besides them because they were always finding pleasure in other things. And and, and maybe those things were things you felt like you had to do. I got to go to work, right? I got to go to work because I love my family. That's the man thing. I got to go to work so I can provide for my family. And and we go, well, it's obvious uh, that I love you because I get up every morning and I go to work so that I can make a wage and I can provide for you and I can give you the things that that you need. And the struggle for us, guys, is that most people in our life, they don't speak that language. What they see is that we're gone all the time and we're picking up all the overtime and we're doing all these other things and we're not spending time with them. And and so they believe our pleasure is found in a treasure that, that is not them. And so that becomes a struggle. And so if you're finding pleasure in things that last, you're not finding, if you're not, if you're not finding pleasure in things that last, you're not finding lasting pleasure. And I'm saying not finding pleasure in things that last beyond this world, then you're not finding lasting pleasure at all. And that's what Jesus points to in verses 22 and 23. Let's look at those. The eye is the lamp of the body. And the first thing you're going to say is, well, I thought we were talking about hearts and treasures. What, why, like Jesus is switching metaphors here. What's going on? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, again, it might seem like Jesus is like just switching gears really quickly, but he's not. He's using eyesight as an analogy. The eyes allow light into the body so that you can see where you're going. If your eyes are healthy, you'll be able to see, to move freely, to chase things in, in your life, whatever they might be, things that are pleasing to the eye. But most importantly, good eyes allow you to avoid dangers. Right? Having good eyes keeps you from getting into to danger. And so that's a good thing. When your eyes are bad, you're going to wander into places you shouldn't be. You're going to fall into things and trip over things and, and, and run into things and bump your head in things. Now, a lot of you don't have this um, problem, but when you are over six feet tall, um, you spend a lot of time looking down because you are so far from the ground. 
You got to look down at the things that are happening there so you don't trip over something. And what happens is um, you don't look up. And so every branch, every door, every little thing that is up here uh, just hits you. Um, It's amazing that I have such an attractive bald head because I run into things all the time, constantly hitting my head uh, on things. And, and so we understand this, this concept. You've got good eyes. If your eyes are healthy and you can see, you not only are able to chase the things that are important to you or that you find pleasurable, but you're able to avoid the challenges and the dangers that exist. If your eyes are bad, if they are unhealthy, if they're not working properly, which was a huge problem in Jesus' day, because they didn't have glasses, but what they did have was very poor health habits. And so lots of people had eye issues, and it was a real challenge for many. And so they immediately understood this connection that Jesus was making. If your eyes are unhealthy, your life is in danger, quite literally. And you might not even know it. You might not know that you're about to step off into that pit or pull out in front of that vehicle or whatever is going to be that's going to be drastic change into your life. Life. And so if your heart, like your eyes, if your heart is chasing unhealthy things, you are just in as much danger as if your eyes are bad and keeping you from those things. So Jesus uses the image of our eyes to emphasize his point. Just as your heart reveals the things that you treasure, your eyes reveal the things that you're after what you're chasing after, you're going after. Good and bad eyes, they parallel a good or bad heart. So our eyes can lead us into sin just like our heart can. When, we, uh, when what we look at and what we love can both reveal what we treasure. And so the eyes and the, and the heart They're connected in this way because they both lead us into things that can be beneficial to us or they can lead us into things that will be unhealthy for us. The good thing is that both our eyes and our hearts can be trained to be used to lead us into good places that are healthy and beneficial for us. And that's really where Jesus goes next. Let's look at the next few verses. No one can serve two masters, he says. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the, um, the Greek word for money here is mammon. Um, and it, and it, was, uh, it was kind of an idol uh, that, that people would worship in order to get more money. It's this idea of always feeling like you don't have enough and wanting more. Um, I heard a preacher once explain it uh, this way, which really challenged me. I, I come from, uh, uh, my mother is a big dreamer. It's always, she always got dreams about all these different things in her life. And I'm like, hey, mom, uh, pick a lane here. You, you can't do everything. Just find something and, and, and do it. And so I, you know, long history of dreamers in my life. And so I had this preacher once talk about this passage. And, and, he, and he said this, um, if you're a dreamer, you might dream about different ways that you get a lot of, like, like, okay, I'm going to have this dream where I 
uh, win the lottery. I don't play the lottery, but somehow I win the lottery. Or I walk into a store and I'm the millionth person and they give me all this stuff. And so we're always concocting these ideas in our brains of how we can get a bunch of money so that we can do a bunch of things that we like to do or we want to do. And, and, and he said, that's, that's really what the, the mammon, the money is that he's talking about. It's this thing that you kind of pursue and you think if I just have that, then all of my problems would go away. For those who thought they could chase earthly pleasure and still expect heavenly treasure, Jesus, like he, like he just clears the road with this passage. He says, you pick your master, but you can only have one. I, uh, let me use this as an explanation. In Matthew 19, Jesus is confronted by a wealthy young man who came to him um, kind of separate from everybody else, and, and he wanted to know how could he could expect heavenly treasure. Uh, and so he came to Jesus. He said, Jesus, um, I, I, I want to go to heaven. Uh, tell me how I can get there and kind of be important when I get to heaven. How can I get to heaven with as much reward as I possibly can? And so Jesus told him, to, he said, obey the commands. And then he quoted six of the 10 commands, you know, the big Moses 10 commandments. Quoted six of the 10 to the man. And the guy was like really happy. And he's excited. excited and he says, Jesus, I have been doing that since I was a child. Like, I've, I got this on lock. I know where I'm going. I, like, I'm happy right now. This is exciting. You're just telling me what I need to do to go to heaven, and I'm going to get there, and I'm going to be number one when I get there. And, and, and then Jesus, which he often does, like, steps in uh, again. Because Jesus knows our heart. And so Jesus is like, hey, whoa, uh, like, slow your roll for a second. Um, he knew what brought the young man pleasure, where his treasure was, and so he told him this next. He said, now if you wanna be perfect, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he said, two things will happen. You'll have treasure in heaven, and then you can come and follow me. So what you say you want, this treasure in heaven, you'll get that. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then you'll be unencumbered and you can come follow me. You won't be worried about all this wealth that you're trying to keep and protect and amass and, and all that will be gone and you can just come follow me and I'll teach you how to, how to live. And the text tells us that the young man went away sad because he had great wealth and that great wealth brought him great pleasure. And he understood what Jesus said when, when he said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. No place to call home. And so um, this guy w went away. We're not told anything more uh, about him except that his pleasure and his treasure were found in the things that he had amassed. His political position, his power, his wealth was where he um, was at. Jesus was asking um, this question. Will you find your greatest pleasure in the things that you treasure or the things God treasures? Will you find your greatest pleasure in life in the things that you treasure on, on earth or the things that God treasures? My friend Matt Giebler um, wrote this on uh, Facebook a, a while back about this very statement of Jesus. And, and Matt said this, Jesus doesn't demand 
that kind of total liquidation, like the young man, he said, sell all that you have. He doesn't demand that kind of total liquidation sale from every person, right? Jesus isn't going around to each and every one of us today going, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. That's not what he's doing. But Jesus knew that the young man valued money more than anything else. And so Jesus confronted that reality. Jesus is really good about getting to the heart of our issues. If you've ever thought to yourself, Matt continues, I want to follow Jesus, but I sure hope he doesn't ask me to blank, whatever that, I sure hope he doesn't want me to do this. Whatever you put in that blank is likely Jesus' chief competitor for your heart. I want to follow you, Jesus, but I, I, I'm really not interested in, in doing this or that. Well, let's put it in a situation that most of us have been in probably at least once in our life. At some point in our work history, career history, we've been in this position um, where you feel like you have more than one boss. Anybody been there? You've got um, two people at work. Maybe you've got a manager and a, and a supervisor or you know, some other concoction where you've got two people coming to you, telling you what to do, and they're both telling you different things. And each of them expects that whatever they're telling you should be your top priority. And then you have to try and decide, right, what, what to like. I can't do both things at the same time. Or this person A is telling me to do this first and person B is telling me to do that first. And I don't really know what to do. And so you have to try and go, okay, which, which boss that is over me is over the other one? So I know which one to make, I don't know, you gotta figure that out. And that's, I've been there before. That is a struggle and it is no fun for anybody because one of those bosses is always gonna be angry with you. One of them is always gonna be angry no matter what you do. And so Jesus says this is the same thing for your whole lives. We get to choose which boss, which master we're going to listen to, but there will always be one that is unhappy with us. It's why Jesus says just a short time after what happens in Matthew 6, he says, don't fear those who can kill the body, but after that can do nothing else. Have a healthy respect for the one who can take your life and your soul. That's the boss you should be listening to and and following. And so the whole Bible really is um, consistent. Excessive wealth distorts our perception. It warps our desires. It tempts us towards greater evil. That the more money that we have, the more things we can do, the more doors are open to us and the greater the temptation that comes with those open doors. And so that produces more harmful desires within us. It leads people to wander away from the faith. So our response to this reality is simple, but it's very difficult. We need to get into the regular habit of storing up the right kind of treasures. We've got to get in the regular habit of finding pleasure in the things that God treasures and and not just the things that we treasure on earth. We can make small but consistent choices to choose spiritual growth over financial security to choose obedience to God's commands over building our own wealth, to choose holiness over social status. Our lives really are shaped by what we value most, what we treasure, what we find 
pleasure in, what brings us the greatest treasure. And for some people, that's money. For others, it's physical conquests. For a few, it's their physique or their hobbies or their vices. And it may not be that for you. So what is it? What is it that you find the greatest pleasure in? Where is your treasure? Jesus said that we can only serve one master. And so what is yours? What brings you the most pleasure? Is it something that you treasure, but you can't take? Or is it something that God treasures? You, you don't have to be poor to have treasure in heaven, but you do have to choose your master carefully you have to make sure that you're seeing things clearly and you've got to find pleasure in the things that God treasures. So this week, let's try it. Ask God to help you find your greatest pleasure in the things that he treasures and then give you opportunities this week to choose your savior over your stuff. Make sure that your spouse, your kids know that you love them value them and find pleasure in being with them. Love God and love others and look like Jesus. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us and giving us an example of what it means to, to follow you and to find our treasure and our pleasure in the things that you find pleasure, the things that you treasure. Instead of the things on earth, Help us to seek the things that are gonna last beyond this life. And God, we don't have to be poor. We do have to act poor towards the things that are vying for our attention in this world. We need to be wealthy in the things of, you, of God and be poor in the things of the world. And so God, help us to use whatever treasure we have to love others, to share with them and to offer them hope when we have more than enough. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving to us. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.